You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. He is the UFC Hall of Famer. He is the host of DC and RC. He is a legend of sport. Let me just, I can't list off all the accolades. We'll never actually start the interview. It is always my pleasure to speak to my old friend, Daniel Cormier. DC, what's going on? What's up, Demon? How you doing, man? It's been a while. Look, I, it, you've been you've been rocking with me since day one. Very absolutely. Beginning. Absolutely. I, dude, one of my, I, I've been doing this for a long time. One of my proudest achievements, and dude, I name drop it. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, dude, I was the first guy Daniel Cormier talked to when he said he was yep. transitioned from wrestling to uh, to MMA. Dude, I, I name drop it all the time. Not going to lie. MMA about it. Weekly at the time. Remember <laughs> yeah. MMA Weekly? Is that even around anymore? Yeah, they're still around. They're still around. Nice. Yeah, but That's no, that was I, so. I did. I I absolutely name dropped that when people bring up DC. Like, did you know I was the first guy? <laughs> That's my boy right there. That's why anytime you call, we on. I love it. I love it. Obviously, I mentioned DC and RC, dude. I love the show, and it, you know, it kills me. Right, like Ryan Clark kills me because, like, and you're the same way because. People are so talented at doing so many different things. It kills me. Like you were an incredible wrestler, UFC Hall of Famer, <laughs> commentator. Now you're doing this. I'm like Ryan Clark, dude. You killed me for years as a Steeler. I'm a Bengals fan, so I was like, you killed me for years as yeah. a Steeler. Now you're the best in football. Now you're doing MMA too. I was like, dude, take dude, one off the list. Ryan Clark is the since Ryan and I started doing this show two years ago. The amount of evolution he has made in mixed martial arts to his, to his knowledge, his ability to talk about the sport, unbelievable. And then his profile has grown so much in the last two years. It's unbelievable. This guy went from doing a podcast on his own. That was actually a good podcast, but it was just on his own. He was doing the ESPN stuff. Then he started to pivot with Fred Taylor and Channing Crowder. Uh, unbelievable. Great podcast. Then he won an Emmy last year. Now he does inside the NFL. He holds Monday Night Countdown. His profile and his presence has grown so much in the last two years. I'm so proud of that guy, man. Because there was, when we started this, right, because you know Ariel and I have such a great chemistry that Ryan was put in a, a place where it was always going to be hard for him. It was always going to be hard for him especially with the way Ariel and ESPN and everybody broke up. It was unbelievably hard, but he stuck with it. And now we have a show that plays on TV every week and runs through the week, like randomly on a Tuesday, I'll see our show or Wednesday. I'll see our show Thursday, Friday, just DC and RC randomly. Uh, He's done a great job and people are watching the show. And from where we started to where we are today is unbelievable. And I, I think a lot of that, 
is uh because Ryan is commitment to the sport. The guy's done well. I don't, really know, well. I don't know how you guys commit the time to it. As busy as he is on TV, as busy as you are. I was like, how do you guys carve out an hour to record this thing every week? We love it. <laughs> when you love something, right? This guy this guy did, he trained MMA when he was still playing for the Steelers. You know, it's, it, it, it means something uh, to him. So it never will stop. And for me, I, I didn't know I wanted to do an MMA podcast until Ariel gave me the idea to do it. And since then, I, I don't want to not be doing it. Now you do like 12 of them. You do all kinds of podcasts now. Yeah. I got my own channel, right? And I, I didn't know. I didn't know that having a YouTube would be so fun to me. I, David, if I knew this was what it was, I would have did it when I was fighting because there were a lot of times where me and my team, we just had all these amazing times together that if we put those on tape, they would have been amazing. But when I started the YouTube a year after... The volume approaches me, you know, Colin Collar's platform for YouTube channels and everything. And I started working with them. They gave me a producer. So I have this guy named Luis. He's a great guy. Any idea I have, he has, he puts it into action for me. And so uh, I do my, my, my show with me and Ben. Sometimes we get together occasionally. I do one with my cousins and friends now because that that's my thing. I love doing it. Those guys love fighting. And yeah, it's just... It's almost like having a, your own network and you just see what people like tap into. And sometimes the numbers are crazy. Sometimes the numbers are just okay, but I love what I'm doing. I was cracking up. I was watching the video you did with your friends and they were talking about your, the scoring when you fought Jones, the look on your face had me Dude. cracking up. They were, I was dying laughing. They were, they were going on on just a look on your face. Like, uh, just they were, they literally like, it was like the night of the fight, you come back and you're so let down and they come into the room and they're like, man, they got you. They cheated you. And I'm like, no, they didn't. <laughs> they did not cheat me. Like I lost. And they're like, oh, they got you, man. You got robbed. I'm like, no, did not get robbed. But that is the way people watch fights whenever they care for someone or they know someone. And the more common face to them is the one that's winning. Anytime they, they, they do something, it brings a bigger reaction, and I think uh, that's what those guys are seeing. DC, let me ask you this, because you, like, listen, the online discourse is what it is. You could you could be, you know, you could be the, the greatest guy in the world, and someone's going to find a way to talk shit about you no matter what. Obviously, as one of the best commentators in the sport, which, by the way, I want to do take a little credit. I think I told you that, like, day one. I was like, dude, you need to do commentary oh, one day. Yeah. Um, when you do commentary, when you know a guy, obviously you commentated Islam's fight. You've, I think, didn't you commentate Luke's fight in the UFC last year? I did Luke. I did Islam. I did Khabib's retirement fight. I, I, I've done a number of the other guys that train at American Kickboxing Academy. I did a kid named Daniel Allen who fought in the Contender Series, trains at American Kickboxing Academy. Kamaru Usman's a great friend of mine. Like, I've done a number of the people that mean something to me uh, I've done their fights. Yeah. I know people, and I know people love to say, oh, you, when you know somebody, you're training someone, you're going to be biased. I'll be honest, DC, I think you and Felder, Paul Felder, both do a tremendous job of calling it right down the middle. And I've actually heard you offer plenty of criticism to the guys you've either trained with or worked with in the past. But on the flip side of that, you talk about the emotion of your friends in the arena watching you fight, like knowing Islam as well. I mean, you've been there since the beginning with Islam. Luke and you, I know, are super close. 
how hard is that to like keep, cut out the emotion because it's got to break your heart when like your one of your guys loses and and you got to call that match. Well, you know, I've noticed and my friends have noticed that as much as people say that you're going to be biased towards the person that you care about, I tend to go the other direction, which is unfair to my guys actually. But they understand and I try to call the fight as best I, I can. If a guy deserves praise, I give it to him. Uh, they had a real bad case of this with Blagoy. Blagoy was fighting, and he texted me on Monday. He goes, DC, did I not land anything? I was like, yes, you did. And I said, I gave you credit for it. He goes, it just seemed like you were so intent on what was happening to me. I said, Blagoy, we weren't winning, but I had to check myself. Because part of the reason I, I was doing that was because I was listening to the voices. When in reality, those voices... It is, it is a select few. The select few is always louder than the majority. So you have to forget about what the select few is doing and just do your job. But it's nerve-wracking. It's, it's, uh, it, it, it's nerve-wracking because you want to see those guys do well. But one of the, the beauties of the position that I am in today is I have those great friends from when I was training and people that are my friends in life. But I build relationships with all these other fighters. So watching Islam fight Alexander Volkanovsky, while I am hoping Islam is going to do well, I also want to see Volkanovsky do well because now I've built a relationship with this guy, maybe not to that degree, but I know him and I know how good a guy he is. And then they also allow me to comfort those guys. Like when Kamar Usman leaves the cage, and I give him a hug and tell him how proud I am of him doing what he did on seven days' notice, fist bumping Hamza Chumayev because he fought a tremendous fight. Being able to go and console Luke as he's leaving for the last time outside of the octagon, that's something that my bosses have allowed me to do. So I can have those little moments where at the end of the fight, those guys know that, uh, you know, still in their corner, and, and I love them so dearly. But it's not in the wins. In the wins... I don't get to hug and celebrate. But when those guys lose, I go to them and I kind of try to give them a hug and say, you know what? Yeah, I'm proud of you, man. And that that's one thing that happened in Abu Dhabi with Kamaru. I gave Kamaru a hug and he spoke something to me right then. And I said, you're probably right. And then I just went back to my job. But it was good to, I was proud of him for what he did. Yeah, it also brings a level of insight. Like, I remember when uh, Michelle Watterson had her last fight, and she was obviously upset with the stoppage just that she lost, and she was walking out, and she stopped and talked to Rashad Evans, who just happened to be working the analyst desk that night, and she gave him a hug, and she was obviously in tears, and he was able to relay that because, you know, we, we, we may not hear from her for days, and he just relayed, like, what that was about, and, like, that's an insight you wouldn't get if it was just anybody there. No. It's because she had that personal relation with Rashad, training with him for years at Jackson's, that she felt comfortable enough to, like, stop and talk to him, and that's an insight we wouldn't get otherwise. Absolutely, right? And that's why... And that's why you got to appreciate having the guys and the people. Look, I love Joe Rogan. He's the man, right? He's the man. And it's a universal respect for Joe and the time that he's been in there. But before when you had Joe and uh, uh, Mike Goldberg, right? Joe fought and trained jujitsu with all those guys. So they could make that connection to him. With Mike, he was very... Uh, he wasn't very connected. 
Now you have three guys. Uh, one, me, John, Joe, Paul, uh, Bisping, Dominic. All of us now have connected to the guys. All of us. So every every person that sits at, at that table now can have those types of personal relationships with these fighters. So it makes it a different way. So Rogan, because he trained with Eddie Bravo and all those guys that are now, they go to the podcast, he brings them on, they sit and talk with them, they do jujitsu, they train. Me being a trainer with the guys at AKA uh, and, every, and all the other guys when I go to gyms. You obviously know Felder's connection in Philadelphia, Dominic Cruz. John Anik has a connection in Coconut Creek, right? He's down in South Florida. So he's got, he's in that, he does the same performance training as Gilbert Burns and all those guys at the Institute of Human Performance. So he's entrenched in it. Every single analyst now is entrenched in it. Lawrence Finkel trains. Uh, Megan O'Levy trains. Everybody is entrenched in the fight. So you get different types of fields and different types of, 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 uh, levels of engagement with the fighters, and I think fans should really be excited about that. Absolutely. Can I ask, like, what have you thought of uh, Laura Sanko so far, man? I think she's done a tremendous job. Yeah, I thought she's done a good job. I think Laura, I think Laura is honestly one of the hardest working people. She does a great job because at times, all of us, all of us, we go to the fight, and you might know this guy so well that you're like, I'm going to watch one of his fights before he fights. Because I know what this guy does. Laura will watch three or four. And you know who does that more than anyone? Her and Megan. They, they are, Megan O'Levy, Laura Stanko, and John Anik are the most prepared human beings I've ever seen in my entire life, David. I've never seen people prepare at the level of those three. And for Laura to do what she's been doing from UFC quick hits to uh the contender series to now calling fights has been it's been tremendous and i'm telling you man we're lucky to have the group of analysts and, and commentators and broadcasters that you have right now uh we did a we did a thing a little while ago about like who's the, the dream team of ufc commentators and i said for me and i'm it's it's written so i'm not saying this to suck up but it said my dream <laughs> team is what's out there right now john anik da- you know joe rogan and daniel cormier but the one that Joe missed when you worked with Laura, I thought you guys did a tremendous job. I mean, obviously, like Matt Brown, who I do the podcast with, says you can never replace Joe Rogan. He's the voice of the UFC. You got to have him there. It's a big fight. But he's like, now it's a big fight when you hear Daniel Cormier, when you hear Joe Rogan, you hear John Anik. Like those are the voices we need for the biggest moments of the sport. But again, I know Joe can't do them all, and uh, I thought Laura did a tremendous job when she stepped in. She did a great job, and um, that was in uh, Australia. And then last time in Abu Dhabi, I thought Paul did tremendous. I've had some great calls with Paul. We had, we were we called the Conor McGregor Dustin Poirier fight when Dustin knocked him out in Abu Dhabi. We called Islam versus uh, uh, Volk in the last fight. And I, you know what's crazy? Paul Felder is the only one that's trained in this job field. Paul Felder went to a performance academy. Paul Felder did not go to Paul Felder went to school for like broadcasting and acting. He's trained in this field. And you can you notice that when he's on television. John Anik also too, Megan O'Leary also. But like in terms of the 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 the, play, the commentators, the color guys, it's Paul Felder that does that. But I feel like now we have become a trio, me, John, and Joe, when it comes to pay per views, 
where when you want to feel like it's a big night, you hear those voices and you see us uh, on the screen, you know, and it's, and it's honestly, it's, it's me and John and Joe and it's Megan on the reports, right? You know, cause Megan's good. She does football and she does the NFL and she does all these things. So it's like, you know, when you got that, that, that team, that it's a pay-per-view and it's a big night and that's the best. When, when John Madden and Al Michaels and those guys were on Monday Night Football, you knew you were watching Monday Night Football. And now you get that with the UFC. When you see John, Joe, Megan, and me, you're like, okay, it's going to be a big night here. And that, 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 that's great for the UFC. It's impossible for me to talk to, because I talked to Pat Barry and I, I run into Rose Namajunas. It is impossible for me to talk to or be around Rose Namajunas without going, Thug Rose, Thug Rose. <laughs> it's, like, it's ingrained in my head forever. <laughs> It's one of the best. It, that was one of the most fun nights I've had because there were three title changes that night. DSP, Dillashaw, and uh, Rose. And I just was like, I'm a huge wrestling fan. And I just remember when Jim Ross would be going, Stone Cold, Stone Cold. And I was, I just started yelling, Thug Rose. She got the leaping left hook. She hit her with a left hook. Boom. I was like, oh, my goodness. I could not believe it. And it was cool to see also because – we had saw Rose Namajunas from that fresh, fresh-faced young girl all the way to that moment as the champion. So that was that was cool. That was a great night, man. Dude, sometimes, sometimes you can't even write this shit like that. <laughs> the nights are so good. Sometimes you can't even write how good the nights are when we leave the uh, – when I leave that commentary table and those guys look – they always look at me and they go, John, they all got to look right to me and they go, we have the best job in the entire world. I'm like, dude – Nothing compares. It's not even close. And I, I'm like, I get goosebumps at the table because I'm such a fan of fighting. Like, I just love combat sports. I love it. I love it. Uh, DC, you're going to be calling some big fights in a matter of days because we know the UFC is going to be back in New York at Madison Square Garden. Obviously, we all know the change. I know you addressed it on your show, DC and RC as well. Uh, you know, listen, I one thing you said, and I want to say I agree with you, in terms of the competition – Sergey Pavlovich against Tom Aspinall is a tremendous fight. It's an amazing fight, but obviously we all loved you know the Jones and Steve the Jones and Steve Bay fight almost fell outside of like the sport in a way, right? Because both guys yes. have openly like yeah. both guys have openly admitted this might be it for them, win or lose. Like that mm-hmm. might be the last time. So it kind of takes away a little bit of the magnitude of like the title fight. We're just there I to watch you. Jones and Steve. It's so crazy because now you're over here. You're kind of agreeing with Ryan Clark. Right, Ryan Clark, but Ryan Clark said something very smart yesterday. And that's what I told him why I like doing the show daily. He has a perspective that we don't because we love this. Ryan Clark is a fan. He's not like a bit of an outsider to mixed martial arts. And he said that for as great as those guys are, they don't have the investment emotionally from the fans yet. Because they've seen Jones from back in the day. They've seen Steve A. They've seen him at the top of the world for a really long time. So I get it. Steve and Jones felt like one of those fights that is bigger than just a UFC fight because they're both such amazing stars and amazing talents. So I understand. But for me, the purists, I'm like, yo, we may be getting a better, more competitive fight between two dudes in their absolute prime. Because while Jones is still in this prime, Steve had 41. I don't know him. I talk to him a lot. Like, see, I talk to Stipe. I don't know how he's training, but I know at 41, when I was getting ready to fight him, I felt the difference. So I don't know if maybe he's feeling the difference 
And at 42, by the time they do fight next year, you got to be feeling a bit of a difference. Or you're Randy Couture, and nobody's Randy Couture. So it's like you, you, that for me was a little bit of like, oh, man, I wish I saw those guys with Stipe in his mid-30s, Jones in his late 20s. Now we got some, we're in business. But I get it. It's a massive fight on name value alone. And they will they will perform. It's going to be a tremendous fight. But, boy, I like this new main event. I, I want to see. There's two reasons. One, I have seen Sergey Pavlovich become an absolute monster. He is knocking guys out in a way that we have not seen since Francis. Nobody just puts people out like him and Francis. They, Derek Lewis obviously do. Boom, 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 you're gone. The way Bisping talks about Tom Aspinall, this kid must be the greatest mixed martial artist at heavyweight that he's ever seen. Because I have never seen Michael Bisping talk about someone in such glowing terms. And I trust Michael Bisping. I trust Michael Bisping. I trust his, his ability to see something special. And if he's telling me how special this dude is, and I know what Pavlovich is, and these dudes got to fight for the belt, I'm all in. It's a... Uh... It's a tremendous fight. Seeing like watching Sergey, even though it wasn't like the greatest takedown attempt, watching him stuff Curtis Blades and then knocking him out the way he did, I, that answers so many questions because that was the <laughs> biggest thing. Like, how would he deal with a wrestler? Well, he shrugged, he shrugged him off and knocked him out in the first round. Uh, Aspinall's an incredible grappler. He's just kind of a very well-rounded. This is a tremendous. I mean, this is a. I mean, this was, I mean, I've been, Matt Brown, who I do the podcast with, he, he's he been the biggest Sergey Pavlovich fan for the longest time. I was a little bit later on their arrival because I was actually mm-hmm. at the Overeem fight, so I kind of rem- had that in the back of my head a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you had to remember that memory. Yeah, but, dude, Sergey's a monster Tom's at the time. Yeah. Look who Overeem was at the time, and he was making his debut. Yeah. Against, yeah, he's but making his like, debut against Alistair Overeem. Who does that? Who'd make, who makes yeah, a UFC debut that? against that? <laughs> But you know what's crazy for the Curtis Blades, the takedown attempts weren't great because they couldn't be. He was scared. He was literally scared because he felt the power of Sergey Pavlovich. Crazy, man. It's a, it's a tremendous matchup. And uh, and listen, we're still going to get Jones and Stipe next year. I wish, you know, it's funny. One thing you talked about, and I wanted to mention this anyways, obviously we're all we're all in the combat sports community today still very much celebrating Francis Ngannou and his accomplishment oh, yeah. last weekend, where I personally thought he won the fight, but it was a close fight. I don't think it was a robbery. It was just a close fight. But, yeah, it was close. Yeah, but even, even in defeat, a split decision against Tyson freaking Fury is unmatched. There, I wish, you know, you know, I wish we could see Jones and Francis. That's still the dream fight because uh-huh. both guys, but one thing you said, one thing you said, and I do agree with, and I said this on my podcast as well. I said, listen, we all want it, we all love it, but the UFC is not sitting there crying about Francis and Gondo not being around no. and not crying about John Jones. I was like, they've had two of the most profitable, record breaking revenue years, years in a row. Do you really th- and they got a broadcast deal coming up? They just signed a hundred million dollar deal with Bud Light. I love Francis and Gondo. Let me be clear about that. But they're not gonna cry about not having one fight when they got a million others they're gonna put on. Yeah. Well the UFC has built itself on when one guy goes on, it's like insert someone new and they will become a star. You know, when it's happened since the dawn of time, right? When Chuck Liddell left, everybody's like, well, what's going to happen now? Because he was the face of the UFC. Well, here comes John Jones and Ronda Rousey. And then, oh, Ronda's going to step away. What next? Conor McGregor shows up. 
Conor McGregor's gone now, and you got guys like Israel Adesanya and and guys like Francis, who had Francis became one of those guys that was the shows were built around because you could market him, and they'll do that. I believe that the mixed martial arts community as a whole should be celebrating Francis because he represented the entire sport very well in an unfamiliar territory. But yeah, dude, like this this new television deal is going to be astronomical. The $100 million deal with Bud Light, the uh, buying the WWE. I think we're at a point now where those types of rivalries don't matter as much to the UFC as they did when it was a smaller organization on its way, like building into what it is. It's a $5 billion company, right? It's like we're talking like the Dallas Cowboys. It's like we we got to stop thinking of the UFC as our our, our little UFC that it was prior to. That's really not a – I don't think that's the case anymore. Well, yeah, I mentioned two years of record-breaking revenue with Conor McGregor not fighting. Like, everyone's like, okay. And Conor yeah. is a star. Like, Conor's a massive star. He absolutely brings a huge amount of, you know, popularity and uh, and attention when he fights. But he's been gone since 2021, and it's not like the UFC went out of business. And I, and I say that knowing that – yeah, in an ideal world, would I like to see Ngannou and Jones? Absolutely. As a fan, I would oh love God. to see it. But the UFC is not going to, you know, they're not going to, they're not crying. Dana White is not crying into a tissue today because he didn't get to promote Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou. And he's not mm. going to cry into a tissue tomorrow because he can't book Francis Ngannou against John Jones. That's just the sport. The UFC is just bigger than that. It's become that now. Look, when Tyson Fury and Francis fought, it was massive. Was masking for France financially and for his his profile, which is the best thing that could happen. Um, but the UFC is just gonna move on, man. I'm I'm just I know I'm trying to I'm I know from being on the end, like being there and being involved and just kind of knowing that nobody nobody's disappointed. Like nobody's disappointed. Like if anything, it just really does help elevate the sport. And I think that's what's important, at least to me. And I said I thought Francis lost. That by no means mean that I am hating on Francis. I just scored rounds a different way. Uh, but boy, what a performance he had, man. He looked like he belonged. I was so happy for him. I was so proud of him. And uh, it was just amazing to see. I think you should stick in boxing too. I've said it already. Like you already, you already got this. Go get a big, an even bigger payday. Fight Anthony Joshua. Because being honest, DC, and I'm not trying to take a knock on the PFL, but who's he going to fight in MMA? Like who, who is out there? I, I, I like, is he going to fight Ryan Bader in a crossover with Bellator? Is that really going to draw people's interest? I don't like, even know what's happening with Bellator right now. Yeah, I don't know what's happening. Yeah, but like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I love, I, I, I wish nothing but and the best I, for France. But who's he going to fight? Ryan, and honestly, Ryan would not fight Francis right because we've seen Ryan in there with big punchers. And when the when he fights the big punchers, he gets a little nervous. He takes bad shots and he puts himself in bad positions. So I wouldn't want to see that. But that would honestly be the biggest fight that they could make for him. Biggest fight would be like Ryan Bader or if they try to make him fight Fedor, which I would not want to see because Fedor should not be fighting, but there just isn't the name value to stand alongside him right now outside of boxing. 
That's what I said. Anthony Joshua, wait for the Fury rematch. Deontay Wilder, do one of those. Like, because there's just not, yeah. there's just nothing out there for you. Um, when he made the money he made, he can sit around for a while. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Going back to uh, 295 real quick. Obviously, we have the other title fight. Yuri Prohoshka take it on Alex Pereira. I talked to, you know, I talked to a couple of people around that fight. I talked to uh, Jamal Hill. Of course, he's going to be there front and center watching. And even he was, even he was telling me like. I'm not sure like how this is going to go because as as much as Alex is still kind of learning on the job as a you know he said Yuri takes a lot of risks and you can't he do does. that against Alex Pereira like that is a dangerous game to play. It's a dangerous game to play, but Yuri is the most samurai <laughs> of anyone. I remember when I interviewed him when he fought Glover to share in Singapore. He sat there and the whole time his hands are crossed. He just like was his. His, his presence is so different. I just got the feeling for the first time that I was with a man that didn't really wonder about what was going to happen on the next night because he was okay with whatever the outcome was. If he was going to win, he's fine. If he's going to lose, he was fine because he trusts the process and what he put himself through to get there. So his presence and his mindset is so different from anything else I'd ever seen sitting next to a fighter. But Alex Pereira, dude, this dude is so physically strong and so good at kickboxing. He just got, and then he was able to wrestle Jan Bohovich. It just, I, I like Yuri Prohaska as a fighter and as a guy, he's tremendous. I tip my hat to Alex Pereira more than most any fighter in the UFC because this guy has less than 10 fights now in his career, maybe 10 at the most. He's been a UFC middleweight champion, and now he's fighting for the light heavyweight championship. He has no experience. He does not know this game. He knows how to kickbox, and he has parlayed that into three title fights already. Three title fights in a number of years. He made his debut in New York City three years ago. So three years later, now you're telling me this guy is now fighting for the championship the three, third time? So in three years, he's officially averaging a championship fight once a year, even if he hasn't been the champion. That is to be commended for a guy that has no background in wrestling, no background in grappling, and was just a kickboxer. So I have this insane amount of respect for this dude, man. And I think that fight is going to be crazy. By the time those two guys hit the ring, they, they hit the cage for the main event, that place, Damon, is going to be on fire. <laughs> Madison Square, if you're a fan of the UFC, if there's any place you need to visit for a fight, T-Mobile Arena in Vegas, Madison Square Garden. If you have time or if you have the ability to get to New York City to watch a fight, there is nothing like it. I remember sitting on the bus going to the arena when I was fighting Derek Lewis, and we drove right past the uh, – we drove right past the uh, the that big American flag uh, thing they have. Yep. And I just looked out the window and I was like, this is, I'm in New York City. And that's, that's what it is. It's the best, man. I, I remember, can't wait for that fight. I remember being there for the first event, whether 216 or whatever number it was when Connor fought Eddie Alvarez. I remember we were checking in with media and I'm walking <laughs> up the ramp to the table and they got like Muhammad Ali's gloves and stuff back there. And I see all, I'm like, dude, this is insane. Like I'm standing like in like the, when they call it the Mecca, it really is the Mecca. It is the Mecca. It is the Mecca. It's the best, man. And everything just feels a little bigger when you're in a 
New York City. It should. It should. It's going to be crazy because Prohoshka and Pereira could be a five-round absolute knockdown dragout war. And then the main event, if it goes past four minutes, I'll be shocked out of my mind. Pereira versus Prohoshka is the main event, I believe. No? Oh, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's right. I flipped That's it around. That's event. right because yeah. it's the interim because title. That's right. Yeah. Interim. Yeah. Fight for the interim. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Leading into that. So two and a half, maybe two and a half minutes of Aspinall and Pavlovich and then right into the <laughs> craziness of Prohoshka. Crazy. Could you imagine, though, if, like, two and a half minutes and Aspinall's the one that puts Pavlovic out? It's going to be crazy. It it reminds me, I said, it reminds me of when... Uh, Kel, or not Kel, what was I say? Robert Whitaker, when he became interim champion, he beat Yoel Romero in an incredible fight. And then two months later, we had Bisping and GSP. And obviously, Whitaker was out there. This is kind of the same thing going on now with Jones and Steve. Yeah. Technically, you know, it's an interim title, but come on, DC. We know whoever wins this fight's probably going to end up being a champion, you know, like <laughs> just absolutely because Jones and Steve seem only interested in fighting each other. <laughs> so, yeah, that belt's getting defended. The one that gets won in Madison Square. You know what? Real quick, before I get you out of here, you know we talk about dream fights. I know I'm. I know I'm. It's, I'm gonna kill you with this. When you said we wish you could have seen Stepe in his mid thirties and Jones in his late twenties, you know what? One still to this day bugs me was we never got to see Jones and Cain Velasquez. I remember, you oh remember that God, fa- you remember know? that face off they did years ago at that press oh, conference. It was oh. so friendly. Whatever, dude. I still dream that I wish we could have seen that. Okay, fight. man. Nobody wanted those Cain Velasquez problems. <laughs> if that dude was healthy and ready to go. He was. I still believe he was the best fighter, man. Ask me, ask Habib, ask the guys that saw him in the gym when he was healthy and he was good. Nobody was like Kane, man. Nobody was like Kane. That's. I can't remember who I was talking to. Uh, maybe it was maybe I may have been Luke. And somebody was like, they're like, if healthy. Cain Velasquez was the greatest heavyweight ever. Like if you and Dude, I agree. Ever. In terms of in terms Think about of his t- accolades, and he had to miss five, six years <laughs> in the middle of his prime because of injuries. Yeah. Crazy. He was the best, man. I'm telling you right now, as one of the guys that everybody calls the best, this dude was the best. <laughs> he was the best. Because he yeah. was better than me for sure. That's the dream. That's the one I I still I see that, that face off photo pops up every now and again. I'm like, God, I wish we could have seen that that's fight. That's one we missed. Yeah, that would have been a good one. All right, last thing I'll get you out of here on this. Everyone is Raven. Of course, we all know the great Bo Nickel. Come from Penn State University. I always got to get a wrestling question in here. Yeah, uh, made that transition. He's a monster. Looks like he's going to be a contender. Hopefully, we get to see him sooner rather than later. I talked to David Taylor about three weeks ago after he won his world championship. He obviously, he's going for the gold medal again next year. Gable Stevenson's coming back for the gold medal next year. Going to be a good team for America. Is because da- David Taylor told me he's training. He was out there with um, uh, Factory X with Mark Montoya. David Taylor, a better prospect than Bo Nickel if he comes does MMA. No, no. I love David, but David better stick to wrestling. <laughs> he's, he's too much of a wrestler, man. He's, and David's a nice guy. Like, you know, you got to be a little crazy to fight. And David's like as nice as they come. Uh, I had dinner with David in New York the last time we went. And uh, he never mentioned anything about fighting, you know, so... If he does, I think he would do well because of his background, but this dude is doing fine. Make your money in wrestling, man. Stay away from this. It's a great game. But And Bo Nickel also boxed in his youth. This ain't new to Bo Nickel. Bo Nickel has a bit of a head start on most, and it's already showing in the octagon. 
Yeah, it's a reality, though, because I remember when Kyle Snyder called me, he's like, dude, I want to do UFC. And then I talked to him after his Olympic run. He's like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm going to stick with wrestling. It's not the for everybody. The crazy thing is when they say, I want to do UFC. When they say, I want to do UFC and not MMA, they don't want to fight, bro. Like, they're just like, I don't really want to fight. I saw Jordan Burroughs with some gloves on the other day. Like, he was boxing. I'm like, man, that would have been cool, but not, not anymore. You don't need to fight. You guys are good. I still have that face-off photo from the Arnold years ago where you and Jordan Burroughs were doing the fun face-off when he was talking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I was I like, want to see if Jordan would have started fighting it like in his mid twenties, he'd be the champion of the world. But yeah. now, I think he shouldn't fight. Yeah, not everyone. And everyone, listen, I love wrestling, but not every guy is going to transition well into MMA. We said, dude, if you would have said Ed Ruth, look at Ed Ruth's accolades and said that guy's going to end. He's had struggles, you know what I mean? But you got a he guy. You got a guy, North Carolina, North Carolina coming Austin in. O'Connor. Austin O'Connor. Austin O'Connor, baby. He's going to be all right, though. Just watch. Austin O'Connor going to be okay. Yeah. Just watch. But he's making, but he's making, the, he's making the move at the right time. He's not waiting until, you know, yeah. he's he's making it right he's in. He's not That's waiting until he's older. It's like Kyle Crutchman, Nick Pizzanini, Jacoby Smith. They're all going to be savages. They're now down in Dallas with Faith Paoud. Those guys are going to be good. We've got some good guys. We're just going to. Take our time with them, and when they when they're ready, y'all won't see them all again. It's yeah. gonna be the second coming of me and Kane and all of dudes. <laughs> it's gonna be good, but I I love American wrestling right now. When I had that conversation with David, I was we are at a point now where two the two best wrestlers in a couple weight classes are Americans. Like yep. if if the Olympics didn't only send one guy, we could have both like gold and silver. Like that's how good some of our our weight classes are right now. Our teams have gotten we've we're as good as we've been for a really long time in the US. And uh it's showing around the world. Two state two straight world championship teams, man. Don't get no better than that. That last world championship though, I was blown away. What, what happened to uh Sajulayev and Snyder? I was like, what in the world is going on here? That dude is the man. <laughs> that dude like twenty four years dude. old, right? Like twenty four no, years old. No, he's like twenty. He's twenty? Like oh, twenty. That dude's crazy good. Another Dagestani. Dagestani. Another Dagestani. <laughs> so, you know, we got to hear about that. It is what it is. Though. Oh, man. DC, it is always a pleasure, my friend. I appreciate the time. Keep up the good work. Enjoy New York City next week. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk again real soon. All right, Damon. You're the man. Later, right. brother. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.